Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Hudbay Minerals, Inc. third quarter 2021 results conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and 0. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, November 4, 2021, at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I will now turn the conference over to Candice Brule, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning and welcome to HUDBASE 2021 third quarter results conference call. HUDBASE financial results were issued yesterday and are available on our website at www.hudbay.com. A corresponding PowerPoint presentation is available, and we encourage you to refer to it during this call. Our presenter today is Peter Kikilski, HUDBASE President and Chief Executive, Executive Officer. Accompanying Peter for the Q&A portion of the call will be Steve Douglas, our Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Cashel Marr, our Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, and Eugene Lee, our Senior Vice President, Corporate Development and Strategy. Please note that comments made on today's call may contain forward-looking information, and this information by its nature is subject to risks and uncertainties, and as such, actual results may differ materially from the views expressed today. For further information on these risks and uncertainties, please consult the company's relevant filings on CDAR and EDGAR. These documents are also available on our website. As a reminder, all amounts discussed on today's call are in U.S. dollars unless otherwise noted. And now I'll pass the call over to Peter, Peter Kukilski. Peter? Thanks very much, Candice. And good morning, everyone. And thanks very much for joining us today. Our performance in the third quarter demonstrates our continued focus on execution and delivery in 2021. We had the first full quarter of production at the Pampacancha satellite pit in Peru, and we started to see the benefits of a higher gold from the newly refurbished New Britannia Mill in Manitoba. This led to record gold production for Hud Bay this quarter. We also successfully commissioned the new copper flotation circuit at New Britannia in October, marking the completion of our recent investment program into two high-return growth projects. With Pampacancha and New Britannia now in operation, we're on the cusp of achieving significantly increased cash flows for many years to come. And this is at a time when the commodity markets remain strong including a robust outlook for copper due to a lack of long-term copper mine supply, coupled with the growing demand for copper to support global decarbonization efforts. In the presentation today, I'll speak to the highlights from our third quarter results, discuss the progress we've made at our growth projects in more detail, including exploration success at our Copper World Discovery in Arizona, and I'll recap the many near-term catalysts at Hud Bay. Third quarter consolidated copper production was 23.2 thousand tons, generally in line with the second quarter of 2021. 
This was because slightly lower copper production in Peru was offset by higher copper production in Manitoba. Consolidated gold production in the quarter was 53.9 thousand ounces, a record for Hud Bay, and a 35% increase from the second quarter due to higher gold grades from Pampacancha, record gold recoveries in Peru, and significantly higher gold grades at Lalor. Zinc production in the quarter decreased by 3%, while silver production increased by 11% versus the second quarter. 2021 production guidance for key metals contained in concentrate and dore has been reaffirmed. Consolidated cash cost per pound of copper produced was 62 cents in the third quarter, a 26% decrease from the second quarter as operating costs were generally lower. Sustaining cash costs decreased by 12% to $1.97 in the third quarter, primarily due to the same factors affecting cash costs as well as slightly lower sustaining capital expenditures. We continue to expect consolidated cash costs and sustaining cash costs to be within our annual guidance ranges for 2021. Cash generated from operating activities increased to approximately $140 million in the third quarter, compared to $96 million in the second quarter. Operating cash flows before change in non-cash working capital declined to $104 million during the third quarter, primarily because of lower base metal sales volumes and lower realized copper and precious metals prices, partially offset by higher precious metal sales volumes. Third quarter adjusted net earnings were $38 million, or $0.15 per share, after normalizing for an impairment due to an updated Flynn-Flon closure plan and Flynn-Flon restructuring charges. Adjusted EBITDA was $119 million, lower than the second quarter of 2021, primarily due to the same factors affecting operating cash flow. As at September 30, 2021, our available liquidity included $297 million in cash and equivalents, a slight increase compared to the second quarter. This was because cash generated from operations was offset by $89 million in sustaining capital and investments in the New Britannia project, as well as $34 million of interest paid on our bonds. In October, our liquidity position was further enhanced through the successful renegotiation of our credit facilities to increase available borrowings from $400 million to $450 million while extending the maturity to October 2025. We eliminated certain financial covenants while amending others to increase our financial flexibility and we reduced the effective interest rate. Moving to slide four, you'll find a summary of the quarterly operating results from our Peru business unit. <clears throat> Constancia produced 18,000 tons of copper, 17,500 ounces of gold, 521,000 ounces of silver, and 282 tons of molybdenum. While copper production was 5% lower than the second quarter due to a planned semi-annual mill maintenance shutdown in July, gold and silver production increased by 72% and 11% respectively. This was due to significantly higher gold and silver head grades from Pampacancha and significantly higher gold recoveries, which led to record quarterly gold production in Peru. As noted last quarter, molybdenum production is a smaller part of our business, and we expect it to fall slightly below the 2021 guidance range 
but in line with the recently published mine plan for Constancia. We expect the production of all key metals in Peru to be in line with the 2021 full-year guidance ranges. Ore mined during the third quarter decreased by 8% from the second quarter of 2021 as mining levels were optimized for mill throughput. Ramp-up of mining activities at Pampacancha has increased steadily since first production in April 2021. Ore milled during the second quarter was 6% lower than the previous quarter due to the scheduled mill maintenance shutdown. Milled grades for copper were slightly lower than the second quarter, but were in line with the mine plan. Milled grades for gold and silver were 57% and 36% higher, respectively, than the second quarter due to significantly higher precious metal head grades from Pampacancha. As mentioned, Peru achieved record gold recoveries in the third quarter, significantly above the second quarter, mainly due to higher ore grades from Pampacancha. Meanwhile, copper recoveries increased due to lower levels of contaminants. Silver recoveries decreased as a result of lower-than-expected recoverable silver values in the earlier, more oxidized ores from Pampacancha. Recent metallurgical test work indicates that Pampacancha silver recoveries are expected to increase to targeted levels in 2022. Combined units operating costs in the third quarter were higher than the second quarter, primarily due to higher milling costs and fewer tons milled due to the scheduled mill maintenance program during the quarter. Costs have been generally higher in 2021 as a result of the higher ore hardness, higher steel prices affecting grinding media costs, higher fuel prices impacting hauling costs, and COVID-19-related expenditures. COVID-related costs in Peru were approximately $5 million in the third quarter and are expected to continue at a similar run rate into the fourth quarter. Excluding these COVID-related costs, Unit operating costs in the third quarter were $10.93 per ton. We expect Peru unit operating costs to be near the top end of the guidance range this year after adjusting for unbudgeted COVID-related costs. Peru's cash costs in the third quarter were $1.26 per pound, a 32% improvement over the prior quarter. The significant reduction was due to higher byproduct credits and lower operating costs partially offset by lower copper production. Similarly, Peru's sustaining cash costs decreased to $2.31 per pound, a 14% reduction from the second quarter due to the same factors affecting cash costs offset by higher sustaining capital expenditures. Turning to slide five on Pampacancha, as mentioned, first production at Pampacancha was achieved in early April, 2021. Ramp-up of mining activities has progressed well and in line with the recently published mine plan for Constancia operations. Compared to the last quarter, total Pampacancha ore mined increased by 109% to 2.1 million tons this quarter. As you saw on the previous slide, the higher gold grades at Pampacancha have led to higher gold recoveries. Activities continue to advance as planned with grades and tons reconciling well against the mine plan achieving the expected increased gold grades in 2021 and on track for achieving higher copper grades in 2022 in line with recent company guidance. Pampacancha is expected to contribute to an overall increase in Constancia's copper production to above 100,000 tons per year. This, together with an increase in annual gold production, is expected to significantly reduce Constancia's average cash costs 
to approximately $1.15 per pound over the next several years. Now moving to the next slide on Manitoba, we started to see the benefits from the commencement of gold production at the New Britannia Mill during the third quarter. Production of copper, gold and silver increased during the quarter compared to the last quarter, while production of zinc decreased. The operations produced approximately 5,200 tons of copper, 36.7 thousand ounces of gold, 242 thousand ounces of silver, and 20.8 thousand tons of zinc. We continue to expect the production of all metals contained in concentrate and dore in Manitoba to be in line with the 2021 full year guidance ranges. Mining operations at Laulor have started to consistently produce and separate the gold and copper gold ores as feed for the new Britannia mill. At the end of the third quarter, approximately 35,000 tons of gold ore were stockpiled as feed for the new Britannia mill, a decrease of approximately 12,000 tons from the end of the second quarter. The 777 mine is now within nine months of closure and the focus continues to be on mining out the remaining reserves by completing the necessary ground rehabilitation in order to access old workings and remnant stopes. Total ore mined at the Manitoba operations was higher this quarter than the second quarter due to higher production rates at Laulor. Copper and gold grades were higher compared to the previous quarter, mainly due to the increased mining of gold and copper gold stopes at Laulor in line with the mine plan. Mine zinc grades were lower than the previous quarter as mining of the gold zones at Laulor were prioritized during the quarter. <coughs> during the third quarter, New Britannia Mill processed 41.8 thousand tons of high gold content ore and produced 404 ounces of gold in dore. The mill poured its first dore bar on August the 11th the gold and silver recoveries are expected to increase in the fourth quarter after ramp-up of the mill during the third quarter. <clears throat> All processed at the stall concentrator and New Britannia mill during the quarter was 29% higher than the second quarter. Combined stall and New Britannia recoveries during the third quarter were higher for zinc and lower for copper, gold and silver versus the previous quarter, but were consistent with expectations as the third quarter was a partial ramp-up period for the New Britannia mill. Operations at the Flinflon concentrated during the third quarter were constrained by ore feed availability from 777, and as such, ore process decreased by 22% compared to the second quarter. Recoveries of copper, gold and silver at the Flinflon concentrated during the third quarter were higher than the previous quarter, mainly due to higher copper head grades from the 777 mine, consistent with the metallurgical model. Manitoba combined units operating costs slightly declined in the quarter compared to the second quarter. We expect Manitoba units operating costs in 2021 to be in line with the annual guidance range. <coughs> Manitoba's cash cost per pound of copper produced was negative $1.64, higher than the second quarter, primarily due to lower byproduct credits, partially offset by lower on-site costs. Sustaining cash costs was $0.75, cents, compared to $0.36 cents in the second quarter, primarily due to the same reasons affecting cash costs, offset by lower sustaining capital expenditures. On August the 11th, 2021, gold production commenced at the New Britannia mill after refurbishment, commissioning, and startup activities were completed earlier in the summer. 
first gold production was achieved in line with the timelines assumed in recent mm. guidance and ahead of the original schedule to produce first gold before the end of 2021. Mm. The construction of a new copper flotation facility was completed in October, followed by a brief commissioning period completed ahead of schedule. The copper facility consists of an innovative and first-of-its-kind flotation circuit based entirely on Jamison cells, a modern pneumatic flotation design that offers a compact layout, low-cost process, and flexible flow sheet. First production of copper concentrate was achieved in October, and ramp-up of the copper circuit is now underway. We expect to achieve the targeted 1,500 tons per day design capacity at New Britannia in the fourth quarter of 2021. We've been very pleased with the construction of the new copper flotation facility. This is yet another example of our core expertise in successful project development and delivery. We completed construction of this new copper flotation project ahead of schedule with what we believe to be a record-setting commissioning and ramp-up period. Annual gold production from Lalor and the Snow Lake operations is expected to increase to over 180,000 ounces at an average cash cost and sustaining cash cost net of byproduct credits of 412 and $788 per ounce of gold, respectively, during the first six full years of New Britannia's operation. As part of the ongoing efforts to update our Frenfond closure plans, a comprehensive update completed in the third quarter of 2021 resulted in a $144 million increase to the decommissioning and restoration provision. This increase is largely attributable to longer-dated water treatment and monitoring obligations, along with cost inflation for other remediation activities. The higher water management costs are primarily a result of the addition of 22 years to the post-closure water management period, which, after applying a very low discount rate, represents a significant portion of the increase. The total estimated Flynn environmental obligations are $322 million on an undiscounted basis, of which approximately 25% is expected to occur in the next 15 years in connection with the closure of the Flynn operations, while approximately 75% relate to longer-dated closure and environmental costs around the time of Snow Lake's closure in 2037 based on current reserves. As part of the engineering work done to update the Flynn closure plan, we've identified the opportunity to reprocess tailings at our Flynn tailings impoundment system. Tailings from processing activities in Flynn have been deposited in this area for over 90 years and through several commodity price cycles. Technology has come a long way over these 90 years, and we are in the early stages of technical evaluation and confirmatory drilling to support the completion of a scoping study in 2022. But we're excited about this opportunity as it could utilize the Flynn concentrator with modifications after closure of the 777 mine, creating operating and economic benefits to the Flynn community. It could also provide the opportunity to redesign the closure plans, increase metal production, defer certain closure costs, and reduce the environmental footprint of the tailings area. On slide nine, we discuss the continued exploration success at our Copper World project in Arizona. In September, we released the results from drilling completed at Copper World between January and June of 2021. The drill program totaled over 91,000 feet 
and intersected additional high-grade copper sulfide and oxide mineralization on our wholly owned private land. The mineralization is within seven kilometers of the Rosemont Copper Project and is located closer to surface than Rosemont. Recently, we increased our private land package, which together with patented mining claims now totals approximately 4,500 acres to support an operation entirely on private land. The 2021 drilling program identified three new deposits for a total of seven deposits at Copper World, covering a combined seven kilometers with mineralized occurrences. The three new deposits are called Balsa, South Limb, and North Limb. The program also confirmed and increased the confidence in the size and quality of the existing Copper World, Broadtop Butte, Peach, and Elgin deposits. <clears throat> there remains the potential for continuity between the Balsa discovery and the Rosemont deposit as highlighted by three new holes drilled on the western edge of Rosemont, which intersected high-grade copper mineralization similar to the mineralization intersected at Balsa. There remains a 1,500-foot gap in drilling coverage between these three holes and the Balsa discovery, and we are developing plans to test this unexplored area. We expect to complete an initial mineral resource estimate for the seven deposits at Copper World before the end of 2021. These mineral resource estimates will form the basis for a PEA expected to be released in the first half of 2022. Mineralogical studies and metallurgical testing programs are underway, and the preliminary results are expected to be incorporated into the PEA. Lastly, on Copper World in October, we received approval from the Arizona State Mine Inspector for our Mined Land Reclamation Plan. This approval represents the first step in the state-level permitting process for a private land operation. Slide 10 provides highlights of the exciting exploration initiatives underway in each of our regions. In Peru, ongoing evaluation of the underground potential at Constancia Norte supports plans for additional drilling activities in the fourth quarter of 2021. The drilling is expected to confirm continuity and test extensions, which together with the results from an underground scoping study are expected to be incorporated into the annual mineral reserve and resource update for Constancia in March 2022. We continue to progress discussions with the community of Uchukako on the Maria Reina and Caballito properties, both of which are located within 10 kilometers of Constancia. Drilling continues at the Yagen Copper Porphyry target located in northern Peru near the city of Trujillo and in close proximity to existing infrastructure. The initial confirmatory phase of the drill program is expected to total 6,000 meters in 14 holes with two drill rigs presently turning at site. Five holes totaling 2,795 meters have been completed with all holes intersecting mineralization. Pending positive results from this initial drilling phase, a second phase aimed at defining an initial inferred mineral resource for Yagen would follow in the second quarter of 2022 after the rainy season. In Manitoba, our regional exploration efforts in the Snow Lake area continue, following on the success from the 2021 winter drill program in the Chisel Basin, where the copper gold rich feeder of the 1901 deposit was discovered and high-grade zinc and gold mineralization was confirmed through infill and ex extension drilling. 
2022 drill program is planned for 1901 to test the down plunge extensions of the copper gold rich feeder zone. Our 2021 summer program included regional surface mapping and ground geophysical surveys to delineate our higher priority drill targets for 2022. One of our most promising targets was identified from a borehole survey immediately north of Lalor and is expected to be drill tested in early 2022, both from surface and from underground. Ongoing infill drilling continues at Lalor where we've had a strong track record of converting inferred resources to reserves in the past. The results are expected to be incorporated into the annual mineral reserve and resource estimates to be published at the end of March 2022. On slide 11, I wanted to reiterate the point that with our major brownfield investment programs now behind us, we are entering a period of significant production and cash flow growth at Hud Bay. The higher copper grades at Pampacuncha are expected to contribute to a 46% increase in our copper production by 2024. Similarly, the higher gold grades from New Britannia and Pampacuncha are expected to increase our consolidated gold production by over 150% by 2024. This translates to a threefold increase in our annual EBITDA. And we believe our attractive portfolio of development and exploration opportunities will further add to this growth. I'll conclude the presentation on slide 12, <clears throat> summarizing the many catalysts that we have coming up in the near term. In Manitoba, we are on track for commercial production at the new copper flotation circuit before the end of the year. We will also continue our work on preparing for the ramp up to 5,300 tons per day at Lalor and advancing the recovery improvement program at the Stall Mill. As I mentioned previously, We'll incorporate the results from drilling in the Snow Lake region into our, an our annual mineral reserve and resource update next year. And we will advance our plans towards completing a scoping study on the Flin Flon tailings reprocessing opportunity in 2022. In Peru, drilling continues at Yagen with the potential to initiate a second phase aimed at defining an initial mineral resource estimate in 2022. We are hopeful that we will achieve an exploration agreement with the community of Uchicago on exciting greenfield properties to the north of Constancia. In Arizona, we are advancing our wholly owned copper world discovery and plans for an operation entirely on private land. We are also awaiting a decision at the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals relating to the Rosemont federal permits before the end of 2021. We are a disciplined, copper-focused growth company and we look forward to delivering on these catalysts in the near and long term while remaining vigilant for other opportunities that match our strategic criteria to create value for all of our stakeholders. And with that, we're pleased to take your questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Ores Waukdau of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, Peter, I'm intrigued by this uh, potential reprocessing of tailings opportunity in Manitoba. Can you share maybe a bit more details of, of what you're thinking there and sort of what kind of scale that could be. I mean, obviously, you've got 
hundred years of tailings sitting around Manitoba. I'm assuming there's a lot of metal in that tailings. It, would the plan be to try to fill up the the, the uh, flimflon concentrator effectively to capacity? And I'm just curious if there's much capex uh, associated with with this kind of project. Morning, Oris, and, and yeah, thank you very much for that question. Look, I think there's, uh, in fact, we, we think of it as a fairly significant opportunity because not only does it address uh, potentially our asset retirement obligations in the longer term by reducing the amount of water that we have to treat, but it also has the potential to drive production of additional metal. And as you say, you know, we've been depositing metal into those tailings for the last 90 years. Uh, with technology that's not as good as today, so there's a significant amount of metal in those tailings. But we have to complete the work that lies ahead of us. So number one, we have to actually drill those tailings during when they're frozen, so that we can uh, before we can do some uh, analysis, as well as to figure out a flow sheet for the concentrator. Specifically, what the size or the size requirements in the concentra concentrator would be, I actually don't really know. Um, but I'll I'll turn it to Cashel to provide some additional color around that. Sure, thanks, Peter. Yeah, Oris, there there are a number of things to consider. We're early days. We're working through our scoping studies on this. Um, as Peter mentioned, one of the critical aspects is to understand what the mineral inventory is. As you sort of know, that we've been putting tailings into that lake since for 90 years, and we're well above the lake. And it's one of the reasons that we have. Uh, uh, long-term liabilities with uh, the closure and so it got us to thinking uh, there are a lot of tailings reprocess for uh, precious metals but also technology has changed in uh, mineral processing and there is uh, high intensity grinding isomills and these various things that we can add to the mo and modify our flin-flon concentrator <clears throat> so when we speak about throughput and the possibility it's different than what would be a normal run of mine uh, because obviously the introduced material would be of a different size and so the communication circuit would be somewhat different. So too would be the treatment or the flotation and uh, maybe any sort of leaching that's required for the gold. So we're working through all those things but we do believe that uh, we'll get payable metals out of copper, zinc and gold and silver um, we're very excited about this because of the prospects it uh, presents to us for uh, reconsolidating um, the tailings liability itself, uh, whether we get uh, uh, options to uh, put the sulfide portion back into subaqueous or we can uh, isolate them into separate cells to really reduce or limit the amount of acid runoff in the future. I think it's a good, very good ESG project. It's one of those things I'm very proud to talk to my daughter about, we're working on, that we're going to leave the place better than we found it, and uh, we're very excited about it. And uh, I think, you know, it's just one of those things, stay tuned, stay patient, uh, but we're very positive that this will be a, uh, a great project and it'll be an asset to Hudbeck. I would also add, you know, that this is sort of a... a a coming of age of our technical bench strength where we really are starting to utilize the bench strength that we have on the team. You know I've always said that we have we sort of punch above our weight for the company of our size. So we're really pleased about that. Thanks for that color. Is it fair to say though this is fairly low capital intensity? 
Yeah, there, there's, there's a number of things to figure out. As you can well imagine, you know, working on tailings, you got to think about the stability. And so we have to understand the sequencing. We have to understand what is available to us because some of those tailings are built out of tailings, some of the dams and those types of things. So, you know, um, yeah, the, the idea that this is a brownfields environment, the idea that much of this doesn't require obviously crushing, it's just comminution circuit, the idea that we have installed capacity that's a on a conventional mine of run, it's a six to 7,000 ton a day mill, um, you know, minor modifications. I would say for what the mineral inventory would be, it would be less capital required than what a normal mine would take because it would be essentially, you know, uh, open cast mining. Uh, we have to think about that mining method, uh, all those sorts of things, but definitely cheaper than underground mining, yeah. So in general, okay. to answer to your question is, yes, we think so, but there's some work to be done. Okay, thank you. And just a quick follow-up on Manitoba. Um, I know you reaffirmed your 21 guidance, but zinc really seems like it's tracking uh, fairly below the guidance. I'm just wondering if you're anticipating some kind of really strong fourth quarter to, to perhaps make the low end of guidance, or, or um, just wondering why, why that guidance hasn't changed. Yeah, Orst, um, um, what it is, is you can well imagine you're limited in the type of sequencing you can do when you're mining out the final throws of a mine like 777. And as Peter said, we have sort of nine months of production and it's very well planned out. Um, we don't have the flexibility we have at Lawler. We used to have a 777 where we could jump the sequence and get to other stopes. So there's a couple stopes that are high-grade zinc. And uh, they were scheduled to come out in the third quarter, but, you know, they got delayed by a month, a month and a half. So they're going to come out in the fourth quarter, and they will be impactful to get us on back on range for the low end of guidance on zinc. Thank you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Our next question comes from Jackie Przblowski of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Um, I have a, a list of questions, but I'll try and narrow it down to a couple. Um, maybe, um, Peter, if we could get an update from you um, about what's happening in Arizona, specifically at Rosemont. I know you guys had said uh, for the last year and a half or so that um, you're expecting a decision uh, from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Sorry. Um, uh, this year, by year end, uh, given we're in November, is that is that still the case? Hi, Jackie. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I think that is that is actually the case. We don't know definitively, but when we look at the number of cases that remained with decisions pending, that list has reduced down to, I think, some five cases, um, and we anticipate that they'll probably get through them by the end of the year. That's why we expect this to be done in 2021, but we have no real visibility into that. Okay, um, we will wait and see. And and uh, obviously, you're uh, working in the meantime on Copper World. And I noticed there's a comment about a, I think it's a permit, um, some sort of reclamation plan that's been accepted. Can you talk about how the permitting process for Copper World is going and and what uh, what is still outstanding? 
Sure. So, so there are effectively three permits required at the state level for Copper World. The first permit is uh, the Mines Land um, Reclamation uh, Plan, which is effectively the preliminary uh, design for the mine, which is provided in order to determine what the bonding requirements are for reclamation. So we submitted that, that uh, plan to the state of Arizona. It was approved in, uh, in October. Um, so that basically sets the bonding requirements. Then there are two further um, state-level permits that are required. One is the uh, aquifer protection plan, and the other one is the uh, air quality uh, plan. So those remain to be submitted to the state. But of course, we would complete uh, uh, technical work ahead of submitting those. But the first one was required in order to kick things off. Great. Um, and, and maybe one uh, just really quick one, uh, building on Orr's question about tailings. Um, I know you guys have, have uh, a long history of mining. Um, is, is there other opportunities outside of Flint Flon? Uh, to to do the same, does Snow Lake, like I'm thinking of the old Chisel and, and some of those other old mines, is there a similar opportunity maybe uh, there in the future as well? Hi, Jackie Castle here. Um, absolutely. And um, one of the unique things about the Chisel Camp is uh, when you look at the tenor of gold and silver in it uh, against VMS camps around the world, it's well known to have the highest amount of gold and silver. So certainly, if uh, we're successful uh, at utilizing the uh, on-care and maintenance Flint Fawn Mill, that we have the opportunity to use that first, it'll be uh, applicable uh, to Snow Lake, and we will also, in parallel, be looking at those opportunities over the next couple of years. So um, if we look at the tails grade of two, we assume that the gold grade is probably higher, I would say, in the Snow Lake region than it was in the in the tails in the Snow Lake region than it is in the Flint Pond tails. So that would add uh, more uh, economic value for us and uh, more impetus for us to look at that very closely. Good question. Thanks. That's great. I mean, obviously, you need the mill capacity there, but that's great to hear. And um, I apologize for the noise. Thanks very much. That's all my questions. Thanks, Jackie. Our next question comes from Bryce Adams of CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yes, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, first up, uh, a question on the exploration agreements for Maria Reina and Caballito. Those are still in the presentation as 2021 events. Is that is that realistic at, at this time, or is it more of a 2022 event and possibly even a 23 deliverable? Uh, hi, Bryce. Uh, look. Um so we, we have a very good relationship with the community of Wichikako. We are in, actively in discussions with that community. But as you can imagine, uh, based on our experience at, uh, uh, at Pampa Cancha with the Chiaroya community, these things take time. Um, you know, we are driving towards securing an agreement with the community of Wichikako by the end of this year. But we can by no means say definitively that that will occur. So, so you're quite right. That could be a 2023 um, uh, milestone. I'm sorry, a 2022 milestone. But uh, we are pretty confident that it will not drag beyond that. In fact, our anticipation is that it will be earlier in 2022 than later. Um, and uh, we're driving towards this year. But you know, as you 
suggest this year is driving towards a close. Okay, thanks. That's uh, that's useful. Uh, second question from me is on the uh, Flynn Flow and Closure reassessment. The first part of it of the question is on the timing of the DRO. Is that something that could have been held back and included in Q4 year-end financials? And then uh, regarding the, the Flynn Flow and Tailings reprocessing, uh, you indicated the scoping study is coming next year. When that's delivered, do you then revalue the closure liabilities or that revaluation is is done every five years and every five years only? So the first part of your question, Bryce, is could we have uh, sort of held this back until later? I think our obligations with respect to disclosure would prevent us from doing that. And, you know, we always intend to be transparent with, with the market in any case. Uh, so, so even if we could have, we probably would not have. Uh, in fact, I would say we would definitively would not have. Um, with, with respect to the changing of the longer-term um, retirement obligations resulting out of a study related to tailings reprocessing, I think you know we would certainly make the mark, you and the market aware of the opportunity, but we are only required every five years to update our obligations. So I think it would be a combination of the two. We would disclose what it looks like, but we would ultimately update the plan after five years. Yeah, maybe I can just add to that. Well, well that is uh, certainly what the, um, the regulatory authorities out of Saskatchewan uh, would require as the five year. We would also be under the obligation of submitting a new mine plan. And when you submit a new mine plan, you submit a new closure plan. So we would get the opportunity also to recast the closure plan, uh, which we believe will be much more optimal and much more beneficial to HUD Bay um, with the recast closure, closure plan. And so that will just be uh, with the timing of whenever we get to sort of a feasibility level on this reprocessing of tails, which could be as late as five years, which is 2020, 2025, or could be earlier. It's just the progress we make on the project. Peter, if I could add, maybe from the finance perspective, I, I think it's important to remember that it's our, always our obligation, and it's always, frankly, what we do, is to consistently and quarterly look at these obligations and reassess them in the context of everything we know, good and bad. Um, and I think the first question, Peter, you actually you know, answered it correctly. The, the answer was we, we had our best estimate at the point in time, and regardless of when that was, we uh, you know accrued it accordingly. So, uh, and I think the, the, the bigger question on you guys are absolutely right, but obviously our our job is to deal with deformity and the actual things that we know. And once we get a better perspective on the potential for this tailings reprocessing, we can reevaluate the context of the overall project. But for the time being, it, we know what we know and we accrue it as such, and uh, the chips fall where they are. Okay, perfect. Uh, thanks all. That's it from me. Uh, keep well, everyone. Cheers. Thank you, Bryce. Our next question comes from Lawson Winder of Bank of America. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, thank you for the update. Good morning. Um, I wanted to uh, start off by uh, just asking about uh, Rosemont. So just to get an idea of how you're thinking about it, the, the case now. So regardless of outcome, whether HUD Bay wins or um, it's successfully, and, and then it's successfully appealed to the Supreme Court or HUD Bay loses, I'm just curious, what is the benefit to HUD Bay to continue fighting the case when um, a private land solution seems to be, you know, uh, an appealing uh, option at this point? 
a very appealing option. Uh, morning, Lawson. Look, that that is a, a a very good question, and it's more of a uh, industry question. Uh, we believe that um, it is if if there was to be a negative decision on Rosemont, that it re would be worth appealing because that negative decision has a very very significant impact on copper mining in the United States in general. And so, so from an industry perspective, we believe that we would be supported by many, many other players in pursuing an appeal. But that pursuing an appeal does not prevent us, as you suggest, from continuing with Copper World and our own private land options. So, so we would likely uh, move forward with both in parallel. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, and then just to, uh, I guess, touch, <laughs> touch back on some uh, topics that have already been uh, discussed. So. On Copper World, very nice to see the uh, manline reclamation plan approved. Um, the color on the next two permits required are great. Um, um, maybe just a little bit of detail, though, on the timing around those next two permits. So what level of study do you need before you can submit for the, um, the aquifer and air quality uh, approvals? And what do you suspect the timeline would be on submitting for those and then, and then actually getting them? Thanks. Yeah, Lawson Cashel here. Um, look, wait, we we're into sort of new territory on our private land, sort of west of the ridge. We can utilize some of the baseline work that was done previously, obviously at Rosemont, but we're adding to that. We're doing that in parallel with our our uh, our normal geological and engineering work that we require to be able to submit a mine plan. But be able to calculate the impact on an aquifer, or to be able to uh, calculate the impact on an air quality permit. What is required is a mine plan at a sort of a feasibility level that you're sort of convinced you're bringing that forward. So it's going to be, uh, you know, a couple years yet before, you know, we have definitively uh, advanced those things. And having those things in advance of a feasibility study, there's not a huge benefit because if the feasibility study is contrary to what those two permits uh, might allow you to do, um, it's sort of you need one with the other. And so I think it, what it would be safe to say is uh, over the next couple of years, this story will mature and so too will the advancement of uh, seeking these permits with the additional baselining and studies that we're doing now. I think I'd also add to that, Lawson, that, you know, as once we've completed the sort of the uh, uh, feasibility work um, and, and submitted those permits, we would proceed in any case with the engineering because it would be based on a level of confidence that we have and that would allow sort of uh, timeless parallel uh, execution of permitting activities and engineering work pre-construction. Uh, pre okay, uh, that, that's great. And then just finally on um, Maria Reina and uh, Caballito, um, I'm not sure if you, you're comfortable doing this, but I think it might be helpful just to have a little detail on kind of what the issues are that are that are being discussed now in this sort of these, these sort of final stages of the discussion, you know, for example, with um, Pompa Concha, you know, when it came down to it, there was sort of like, you know, just a handful of holdouts that were, uh, you know, using the land and it just came down to um, getting their sign off. Is it similar to that? I would say it's much simpler than that, because remember that uh, at Pampa Cancha, we were talking to a community about uh, <clears throat> uh, an exploitation or extraction uh, agreement. And, and you know, they, these guys have very, very solid advice. They know that uh, that's, that's where the, the, the revenue is derived from. 
in the case of an exploration agreement, <clears throat> there's no der revenue derived from that. There's only opportunity. And, and these guys are fu uh, fully aware of that. So what the discussion is now is uh, just with it relates to a reaching agreement on numbers. And, um, you know, as always, we start far apart and we eventually uh, move closer and closer and closer. And that occurs over a number of iterations. And so the question really is, is how long will those iterations take? Uh, and that remains to be seen. But we are fully engaged with them. And there are no issues outstanding other than really aligning around what the number is. Okay, that's fantastic. And then on that exploitation uh, permit, is it the case that once you have the exploration permit, I mean, could you theoretically move directly into the discussions on exploitation? Or is there some sort of like cooling off period that's required? No, because then we would need to drill the resource and understand what uh, you know what 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 the um, what, what the resource might look like, uh, and that would you know we would need to follow all the traditional methodologies associated with the mine planning and full feasibility, etc. So there there would be a, a fairly significant pause. Understood. That's very helpful. Thanks so much, guys. You're welcome. Our next question comes from Stefan Yano of Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks very much, guys. Just just curious. I mean, if, if you're going down the path of at least thinking about uh, tailings reprocessing uh, in Flin Flon, does that potentially open the door to also maybe think about bringing in additional ore feeds from the district that may bolster the grade of a tailings-focused operation? Stefan. Uh, hi, Cashel here. Um, look, it's, uh, what we'll put through uh, the mill is whatever has the highest NSR to HUD Bay and the highest margin to HUD Bay. Uh, I suspect knowing the satellite deposits that are within the vicinity of HUD Bay, uh, the reason we're shutting down our mill now is because there is no anchor feed for the Flin Flon mill. Um, would the tailings present an opportunity for, uh, for that? Absolutely. And then we would have to evaluate the incremental value of any satellite deposits over just digging up more tailings. And, yeah. you know, we'd have to be presented with those opportunities or options at the time. Got it. Got it. No, that's, that's helpful. And then maybe just, just just for my own clarification or just a little bit of housekeeping, you just mentioned that at Constancia during the quarter that the mining levels were optimized, uh, you know, for the mill throughput. Um, just just to be just I want to make sure I'm clear on that. Was that when when you talk about optimizing for the mill throughput, was that a reflection of the, the, the downtime this quarter for the, the preventive maintenance, or are you starting to maybe see some potential bottlenecks in the mill now that Pampacanch is flowing through the system? No, actually what it was is, um, you know, under the pandemic, we're sort of on a restrictive work schedule and also restrictive on the number of people we bring to site just okay. to limit our um, vulnerability to COVID. And uh, what it's done is, is we've had to sort of modify some of our deferred stripping. And so when we say we're optimizing the mine feed to the mill, uh, what we're doing is, is uh, sometimes we have to sacrifice some of our previously optimized stockpiling strategies and or our deferred stripping strategies on the fly to be able to keep the mill full. Uh, with the complement of the workforce, should we be short for a week here or a week there? And what it's done is it's just minorly modified what that sequencing is, and that's what that optimization refers to. Okay, okay, got it. That's great. Thanks very much, guys. 
Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then 1. Our next question comes from Dalton Barreto of Canaccord. Please go ahead. Thanks, Operator. Good morning, Peter and team. I want to start by asking you about copper rule. We've talked a lot about <clears throat> the permitting process from a regulatory perspective and you know how simple the state-level process is relative to federal and so on. But process aside, you know, Rosemont attracted a fair bit of NGO and other attention. I'm just wondering, how, do you, how are you thinking about copper rule from a social license perspective? Morning, Dalton. Um, look, that's... Uh that's a great question. I think that it's fair to say that uh, we we have the benefit of hindsight here, and and so we know what the key issues are with respect to um, the approaches that have been taken on Rosemont. Uh, I mean, the overriding simplification, of course, is that this is on private land, and and if you take a look at the press that Copper World has received to date, you will see in general that it is. Um, it's a reasonable press. There's both been pros and cons, but what is absolutely sticks out is our right to mine on our private land. And that right is held as pretty sacrosanct. So, so we have every intention of engaging with any and all stakeholders uh, who are interested in discussions uh, that would help us to move this forward positively. And I think we know we have a much better sense of how to do that uh, than might have been the case uh, with the predecessor company uh, when we purchased Rosemont. So, so, you know, I think Andre and his team are following a uh, sort of a, a very, very fulsome engagement uh, process. Um, they're talking openly with whoever wants to talk to us. Uh, but I think the big differentiating factor here is that, that we will be mining on our private land, but we will be absolutely respecting the needs to ensure that we, uh, this mine is built to the highest standards of in environmental and social integrity. Okay, that's great, Peter. Maybe switching gears a little bit, uh, I want to ask about capital allocation, but there's really two parts to this question. Um, the first part is on New Bread and, you know, kind of the gold mine there up in Manitoba. <clears throat> You'd mentioned in the past that you would relook at how that fits in the portfolio once the mill was ramped up, and we're almost there now. Just wondering if I can get your updated thoughts on that. Sure. Um, again, a great question because, you know, we, we're now sort of moving towards the tail end of what I always referred to as daylighting value in, in Manitoba. Uh, and as, as you know, I've said in the past that once we have daylighted that value, we, of course, would be open to entertaining um, options around it. However, you know, what it turns out is that Manitoba appears to be the gift that keeps on giving. And, and what's really happening is that as we execute against our strategy, we keep on uncovering new opportunities. And so now, you know, with the new opportunities ahead of us related to improvement of recoveries at stall, uh, potential expansion of production through New Brit, uh, expansion of production at uh, Lalor itself, and the additional assets that are satellites, complemented or supplemented by now what is uh, a very potentially a very attractive tailings reprocessing program, uh, you know, we, we are reluctant to just give that away without any value. But on the other hand, if somebody wanted to come pay us full value for, for the camp, we would absolutely be prepared to consider it, noting, as I've always said, 
that we don't really want to be a single operating, single mine operating company. So there are all of these things that we need to consider, but we think we are on the cusp of sort of the second um, or the third innings with respect to value creation that, uh, at Flinflon, and we're going to pursue that until an alternative makes, uh, manifests itself. Okay, great. And then just maybe part B of that question. You're, you know, your balance sheet's in really great shape now. You're generating tons of cash. You know, any meaningful capital on copper rolls at least a few years away. How are you thinking about M&A? And then given what your shares, how your shares have performed this year, are you considering any form of a buyback at all? Look, I think, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let Steve comment in more detail, but I think that it certainly is part of our ambition and long-term goal to sort of sustainably return capital to our shareholders over the course of the cycle. But in the meanwhile, there are a lot of competing investment priorities. Um, but at the same time, returning value to our shareholders is always top of mind. So, you know, as you say, there's, Copperworld is a, a little bit dated, at least is a little bit further out. Although, you know, there will be expenditures in the interim that need to be addressed. Uh, we've got the stall mill recovery program. We potentially have uh, some other uh, uh, project work in uh, Manitoba. So I think we would, you know, we would contemplate share buybacks or um, uh, other forms of capital returns in the interim if it makes sense. Um, but it needs to, of course, compete against the opportunities at hand. Steve, is, would you add anything to that? No, I, I think you're right, Peter. We had seen, you know, it's, it's easy to be tempted by short-term connects between our perception of our own value and obviously the market. But I think you're right when you point out the kind of uh, the, the, the runway ahead of us does have a lot of significant capital opportunities, uh, a lot of them which have very long-term promising return levels. So uh, for me, I think the course remains uh, somewhat unchanged. We're at that inflection point where we've completed two major brownstone, uh, brownfield projects in, in the form of Papakasha and obviously New Britain. We're starting, both of which are starting to bear fruit. Um, we will start to generate additional capital and recognizing in this business uh, a year to two years is a blink of an eye, really, when we start to contemplate the kind of dollars we'll be spending and the optionality that we have. So I think it's always incumbent on us to balance this, and this is something that is a uh, constant tension between whether or not we, in fact, invest for the longer term or perhaps potentially take uh, advantage of those disconnects demonstrate to people the belief in our business. And I think for us right now, it remains focused on uh, conversion of those opportunities into cash and then uh, exploring our opportunities thereafter. Okay. And just, Peter, your thoughts on uh, acquisitions now? Oh, of course. <clears throat> so I think we have been always been pretty clear about that, that, you know, we have always said that we would like to add uh, a third operating asset to the portfolio. Uh, from a risk reduction port, uh, perspective, but also from a diversification uh, perspective. So, so we do continue to, to look for another operating asset to add to the portfolio, but I think you know as well as most that those are few and far between. But we will continue to be creative in how we think about this, but at the same time we will continue to be very disciplined. But we, we would love to add another operating asset to the portfolio, and uh, but we will exercise discipline. That's great. That's all for me, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dawson. Our next question comes from Pierre Valencourt of Haywood. Please go ahead. Hi, Peter. Um, could you comment on the uh, 
the blockade at Libitaka and, and more generally just, you know, how these communities um, are acting now? Are there, are they being more empowered as a result of the, the new government and, and what, you know, how are, you know, what, what can we expect to, to, to come out of this and just how have your discussions with the, the, the government been progressing and, and what, in, what impact on a broader sense that, that might have on uh, uh, on, on operations. Morning, Kieran. Thank you for that. Look, there, there's no doubt that there's been a period of heightened social tension in Peru as the country continues to experience the impacts of the pandemic, and some communities may feel empowered by the radical speeches from different actors. And this, this has not been limited by any stretch of the imagination to Constancia. And we've heard of recent protests at Antamina, at Antipakai, uh, and at the Afumayo gold mine, uh, and of course at uh, Las Bambas. Um, look, I, I do think that the key here is engagement with, uh, uh, with our communities, as well as educational contact with government entities, uh, either at cabinet level or at um, uh, a Congress level, to make sure that people are educated with respect to what we are doing for our communities, so that that sort of <clears throat> tones down uh, the level of uh, protest. But, you know, maybe before we wrap, wrap up on the question, uh, I'll ask Cashler to provide a little bit of historical perspective from his time in Peru and how, that, how he sees that relating to the current uh, environment. Yeah, I've got a bit of an anecdote that sort of, uh, sort of tricked me earlier this week. And uh, um, somebody sent me an, uh, a news article saying New Yanacocha was um, interrupted. And I didn't look at the date. And uh, I was like, oh, my Lord, there's another one after the Antamina. But the date was from October 2011. And it was just after Hamala got in. And Anacocha was interrupted. And their stream of 1.5 million ounces a year was interrupted. Then I looked up at the date. I didn't think they would do it anymore. And it's deja vu. That's the way I feel about it. While it's a different party and it's a different process, the sentiment is the same. Um, uh, with this left sort of leaning uh, ruling uh, administration, I think it does empower many of the locals that someone that they can see themselves in uh, might finally bring them some sort of justice. And, and to be honest with you, it is the mining companies that bring development and progress to these rural areas. And that was born true over the 10 years since Hamala came into the power. And to be honest with you, I'm optimistic the same thing is going to happen again, and it'll have its own path and its own trajectory. But I think, um, you know, uh, the people of Peru, uh, certainly through this pandemic, know that um, the revenues are mostly generated uh, by the mining community, and that's what advances the progress for these, um, uh, these, these, these sort of remote areas and these places where the government is less influential. So I, I, I'm optimistic that we've sort of seen this playbook before, and I'm optimistic that uh, similar remedies will come out of it and cooler heads will prevail. Peter, what I would just wrap it up by saying is, look, you know, we, we continue to have the objective that the communities in our mining regions benefit uh, from our presence. And, and, you know, Javier Del Rio and our team in Peru continue to maintain dialogue and discussions at every different level, including at the district and regional levels in Peru, but also, as I said earlier, at the cabinet and congressional levels. 
Um, so, so you know, to be clear, um, these, these protests that that are, we are experiencing, um, or, or they are they are impactful. Their impact has not been material on our operations at Constantia, and frankly, we think we will get through them. Uh, you know, I think we have a period of volatility ahead of us, but as Cashel says, uh, we think we'll get through them. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Candice Brulé for any closing remarks. Thank you, operator, and thank you everyone for participating today. This concludes the call. If you have any further questions, feel free to reach out to our investor relations team. Thanks and have a great day. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.